what does the freedom of Christ look like? That word, freedom. A word that we hear all the time, but do we really understand what it means? Do we really understand what it means to live into the freedom of Christ instead of just listening to the messages that we hear from our screens? As followers of Christ, it's easy to hide behind this social media image of faith. What people see on the outside is gorgeous and put together, but on the flip side, each part of our life consumes us and makes that ease too much to attain. This perfection in our lives controls us and keeps us bound in chains while the monotonous routine of this world pins us down and makes it too hard to break away. Our brains are muddled with these worldly solutions, but we need to remember that the only solution that can bring real restoration is when we begin to understand our emancipation. When we realize that this freedom comes from Christ alone, our chains will begin to fall. As we dive into the meaning of this idea of freedom, make sure to remember that it's okay to leave these shackles behind and dance in the overwhelming freedom of Christ. Amen. How are you guys doing this morning? All right, awake. That's good. That's good. Hey, listen, I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. My name is T. Lusk. I get to serve as the uh, college and young adults pastor. And if you've not been around new, long, I'm not the guy who typically speaks. Uh, pastor Jeff is uh, with a tour right now. He's um, not on a musical tour. That would be cool too, I guess. Um, but he's, uh, he and a group of folks, uh, mostly from our church, are on a teaching tour. They left this morning uh, and are going to be in Israel for the next several weeks. And so pray for them. Uh, and over the the next several weeks this week you have to suffer through me and next week you get to hang out with Pastor Chase and so it's going to be uh, a great couple of weeks uh, for all of us but uh, we're glad that you're here and glad that we get to dive into God's word together. Uh, you know most of the time whenever we start a new series like we are this morning I'm pretty excited uh, because I like kind of new. I'm, I'm, I, I get quickly distracted. I'm super ADD, right? I mean, anybody else in the, in the room, right? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Uh, the others that didn't raise their hand couldn't pay attention long enough to actually raise their hand. It's a real thing, folks. Um, but, I, you know, so I, I really do get excited about new things and kind of starting something fresh. But with this particular kind of transition, moving from uh, working through Psalm 23, I was not necessarily as excited. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's been really good working through Psalm 23 over the past several weeks. Just kind of that, it felt like every week the, the passage was, was just so particularly tailored either to myself or, or to a conversation that I'd had with somebody that week. And, and Psalm 23 just in and of itself is just such a significant passage in my life. But then as we kind of just progressed over the next couple of weeks, I realized that we're going we're gonna to be opening, opening the book of Galatians together for, for the next six weeks as we study God's word together here. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, as great as Psalm 23 is, as significant as it is, Galatians 
is so incredible. It's a book that was written by, a letter that was written by Paul the Apostle. We'll learn more about him in just a little while, but, but Paul writes this letter to a group of people called the Galatians, and, and, and again, we'll learn a little more about that, but, but this is a letter, it's six chapters, it's 149 verses. If you sat down and read it, read it not ADD folks, we'd take a little longer, but normal people, you may take 20 to 25 minutes, right? ADD, it's like a year, something like that. Trust me. You, but I just want to challenge you this week, maybe as kind of your uh, on top of, as you're reading through Daily Steps, if you're not doing that, you should jump in with there. But, but on top of what you're reading in Daily Steps, set aside 20, 25 minutes, maybe in the car you can listen to it, but just read through this whole letter. You won't regret setting aside that time. You won't regret it. It, it won't be something that, that you think, man, I, I wasted 20 or 30 minutes kind of listening to or reading through this passage. While, well, again, Psalm 23 may be one of the most uh, well-known passages in Scripture. Galatians is truthfully one of the most significant books in all the Bible. It's not an understatement. Our church is a part of something that we call Protestantism. And Protestantism gets its start about 500 years ago in a, in a time called the Reformation. And it, Protestantism was a kind of a, what the whole point was, was a response to, of correction to some things that were added to the simplicity of the person and the work of Jesus Christ to, to get back to the, the truth and the simplicity of the teaching of God's word. And, and that movement that started 500 years ago at the centerpiece is, is of that Reformation is the book of Galatians. There's two books, Romans and Galatians, and both of those books are at the centerpiece of this mark in history that we get to be a part of today. And at the center of that kind of movement is a, is a man uh, by the name of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther uh, identifies Galatians and, and a part of his study that was just significant in understanding the simplicity of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther makes this statement that I, that I found this week and I thought was pretty interesting. He says this, he says, the book of Galatians, it is my epistle, means letter, right? That's a word that means letter. It is my epistle. I have betrothed it to myself. It is my wife. Now, side note, Martin Luther's super cool dude, but that's a little weird, right? <laughs> Be like, okay, it's a little, little overstep, right? But the truth, I mean, like he's, he's in on Galatians is what he's saying, right? This is his book, his lady, man, it's weird. There's some other passages, there's some other phrases that was supposed to be funny and y'all didn't laugh as much. <laughs> Gonna move on. Some other phrases that are historically significant and kind of for us. Galatians is the, the battle cry of the Reformation. That it's the Magna Carta of spiritual freedom. That it's the decoration of Christian independence. And it is. When we read through the book of Galatians, what we see is this clear, loud, definitive call, declaration of freedom from sin by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ, his son. 
And it's what we're going to read and study over the next, next several weeks is Paul announcing that over and over and over again because we need to hear it over and over and over again that you have been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ to live free in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how excited I am for these next several weeks, but if we're going to dive in these first 10 verses real quick. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as I read through this passage. We stand just as a recognition that God's word is, is, is over us. It's our authority. It's not, we're not authority over us. It should be on the screen. And if you don't have a, pa- a Bible, you're more than welcome to grab one in the back. It'll be our gift to you. But listen to this. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. Verse three, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this, the present age, the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse six, I'm astonished that you so quickly desert, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be or let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, we approach this passage with humility. Knowing that over history, God, you have used this passage in such significant ways. And we pray, God, I pray, I beg that you again would move in such a mighty way through the preaching and the study of this passage of the book of Galatians. And God, lives would be transformed. Our community would be transformed, that, that, that God, by your grace, nations would be transformed by the gospel, the simplicity, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that you sent your son as a sacrifice sufficient to die for our sins, to rescue us from the chains, and free us to eternal life. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, it's interesting as uh, you kind of, maybe you've got your worship guide uh, and you see that it's just three lines. I, I, get, I get chided pretty often that, I'm, uh, that, that my outlines are really short, which makes you think that it's going to be short in general, but then I'm super long-winded. 
Uh, and so I apologize for that. Leo, in his prayer a second ago, said that I'm preaching till the nighttime. So uh, buckle up. That's happening. It's going to be awesome. No, seriously. It's really three things that I want to kind of pull out from this passage. And the first is this. that Paul, What's Paul's context? Why is Paul writing this letter? At some level this, this morning, we're just going to kind of set up what's going to happen for the rest of the, the, the weeks that we're going to follow. But, but really just in this moment, I want to see what's the context of this letter? Why is Paul writing this to, to the Galatians? You see, Paul writes this letter from what we can understand about 15 to 20 years after the death of Christ. So Paul, is, his, his life has been transformed, and, and this is about 15 years later. And Galatia is not a town, or the, the Galatian people are not a town, but they're a region of people. And we have a map that hopefully kind of helps us see this a little bit, that wh- where Galatia is in this map. You see that big, dark green area that's there in the, kind of in the middle? And that sits in what is modern-day Turkey. All of that area, the red and all of those other things, is what modern-day Turkey is. You kind of move over a little bit farther to the left, that's Greece, and then you get to, to Rome and Italy. And, th- and all of this region that you see in this picture, and what some of what's not pictured, is, is under the Roman rule at this time. Even Jerusalem, which is down here in the right-hand corner. And Jerusalem is where it all began. If you go back to the book of Acts, Jerusalem is where, where this whole church begins, where the whole movement of, the gods, of God's people begins. Jesus is crucified in Jerusalem, and he gives instructions to his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit falls on them. And if you come to Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, and this church is birthed. But 15 years later, The church is not just in Jerusalem, it's spread all over this region. It's incredible what happens in just such a a short period of time. We have been a church, a body together, Rolling Hills Community Church for 16 years. In that amount, amount of time, the gospel had spread to a small town in Jerusalem where Pastor Jeff is going to be this week all over this region. It's incredible. So Paul is, has, been, has, has been a part of that. Paul has been a major part of that. And this Jewish, this beginning of the church as it starts in Jerusalem is really an exclusive kind of Jewish messianic movement. The people who begin the church of God in Jerusalem are all Jewish people. And they put their faith in Christ. But in 15 years, it spread far beyond just Jews. And by the time that Paul writes this letter, there is many non-Jewish Christians in this region or in the world as there are Jewish Christians. It's a fantastic story of what God does in just such a short period of time if you read through the book of Acts. And central to this spread is Paul. Paul There's a lot of things about Paul that we'll learn in a little bit. He's a Pharisee, but his life is transformed, and he's a missionary now. As he writes this letter, he's a missionary. And what he does as a missionary is he goes and he plants churches in these regions. And he sets up leadership there and and a church structure, and then he puts leaders in charge, and he moves on to another place and sets up leaders and and structure, and then he moves on to another place. And all over this region, it's dotted with churches that Paul has started and families and lives that have been transformed because of his missionary work. 
It's an incredible story. I mean, Paul is, has, has, has had such a hand in the spread of the gospel as, as God has moved him and, and used him in such a significant way. But all of this spread of the gospel to these regions far outside of Jerusalem where it all began does not come without conflict. And as Paul, as Paul is a part of that and other disciples are a part of that spread, there's conflict that arises. And that's the second thing that I want, to show, I want us to see in this passage is that what Paul writes this letter for is that there's a great concern that Paul has. Second thing is that Paul's concerned about something. The conflict that's arising is, is what Paul's concerned about. And you can sense it right here as you kind of go to the passage, verse 3, it says... And kind of hear and sense that concern. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you turn over to the, the, the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians and the Philippians, right here at this point in his letter, he begins to tell a story, or he'll talk about how, how encouraged he is, or he'll encourage the people in, in Philistia or in Ephesians, the, 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 those folks that he's writing to. But Paul doesn't do that here. Paul dives right in. You can hear it, verse 6. It says, I'm astonished. That you so quickly, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Did you hear it? That that astonished. It's a shock. It's a sadness. It's really, some of you may know this, and hopefully it doesn't bring back too many bad memories, but but many of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. It, it's kind of a parental tone that he, he writes. It's like Paul saying, I'm just so disappointed in you. Anybody? Did that hurt? Did you feel like that sting where you're like, oh, just ground me or something, right? When your parents would be like, I'm just so disappointed. Don't say that. It hurts. He has a way of just gently kind of saying, I'm, so, I'm shocked. I'm, I'm astounded. I'm disappointed. And in a way, just softly letting them know that, that, that there's a rebuke, there's a, there's a sorrow in Paul's voice to say, there's what's happened that you would be so confused at this point so quickly. And there's a couple reasons I believe that Paul's disappointed or shocked and, and astounded by, their, by them following and, and fought, like getting, apart, getting caught up in these confusions and abandoning the gospel. And the first is, you know, Paul has a deep friendship with these people. I believe Paul has a deep friendship with the people of Galatia that he's writing this letter to. He cares deeply about them. When I was in college, I went on my first international mission trip, and I went to this town in, Mon in, in Mexico called Monclova. It's a fairly big town. It's a westernized town. And, and so, like, the third world aspect of it wasn't super, like, crazy, right? But, but it, there's something deep in my heart, a love that I have for that town. 
Even this past week, as I was thinking about it, I just looked at Google Maps to look at some of the places, and I remember it so well. I have such fond memories of, of doing backyard Bible clubs and, and sharing the gospel through the Jesus video and, and, the, and the town square. There's so many things that I remember that's so, and some really great ice cream that's also happened there. But thank you for laughing at that. <laughs> Food, it's heart language. But I have such a heart for that. It's been 15 years since I've been there. But I really have a heart for this place. And Paul, as this, uh, this missionary, as soon as his life is transformed by Christ and is meeting Jesus, just soon thereafter, he meets Barnabas and the church at Antioch sends him off to begin planning. They recognize that he has actually met Jesus and they send him off to be a missionary. And this is the first place that they go, is this region of Galatia. If you look at his missionary journeys, this is the first place that Paul plants churches. He has a deep love for these people and all three of the, the missionary, the two following the journeys that Paul would have, the second and the third, he always goes through Galatia. He always takes the time to go through there. And I believe that just by tracking those things, you can see that he loves these people deeply. So he's concerned for them. He's also concerned beyond that because they're being deceived. You see what happened is the, as the, as the, as Paul and these other pastors and missionaries would go out and plant these, these churches in these different places, they would follow those people, Jewish, Jewish believers would follow them and undercut the teaching. And so Paul, when he addresses this, he dives right in because he realizes that he's about to do battle for the freedom of the Christians that he loves so dearly. That what's coming in underneath and what's, you, what's, what's undercutting the teaching that Paul brought and, and, and that Barnabas brought in setting up these churches is not teaching that's helping them grow, it's teaching that's putting shackles back on them. He won't have it. He's concerned about it. He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He talks about them following a gospel that's not even a gospel at all. It's hurting his heart. He doesn't understand. He's, he's, there's, a con, there's a concern that Paul has. These people that would go in, what we all, what are often called Judaizers, what they would do is they would go into these places after Paul and these other missionaries would go in, and they would say, hey, listen, what Paul taught you, that was all great, but it's not just those things. There's some other things that you need to actually be saved. And so for them, they thought there's no way for you to actually be a part of the family of God to be saved unless you practiced some of the things that the Jewish Christians or the Jews of the Old Testament would practice. Some of those customs and laws, and so they would bring the food customs and the practicing the Sabbath and many other, including that they would, they would talk about circumcision. That they were, in, they were bringing these guys in, these individuals, and saying, listen, it's that, but you also have to do this to really please God and earn the salvation that Paul told you that you had just by trusting Jesus. And it breaks his heart. It happens in the churches today. 
whether intentionally or unintentionally, we do it in various ways. That we say, God, we, we add to the simple truth that salvation is by grace alone. We add our religion and our good works. We add our church membership or partnership and our attendance, the, the mission trips that we've gone on, the, the amount of times we've read through the Bible and stack up our own personal goodness and righteousness. And we say, yes, God, we know that you died on the cross, but it's also these things. And sometimes we're taught that and sometimes we just, we do it on our own, but we stack up these things just like the Judaizers were doing and just like these Galatians were adopting to say, yes, it's Jesus, but it's also something else. Paul says, no, it's not. They're being deceived. You think, T, man, that's really... I mean, like, isn't going to church a good thing? I mean, isn't reading your Bible a good thing? I mean, shouldn't I go on mission trips? Aren't you making a little bit too big of a deal of that? Do you know that rat poison is 97% just good food? That on a good day, a rat can eat some poison that's set out. And the majority of it would just make him fat and happy. It's the 3% that kills him. Jesus says to the, to the, the Jewish Pharisees, just a little bit of yeast ruins the whole dough. It just takes a little for, the, for that whole dough to be leavened. Listen, these, these teachers, what they're doing when they come in, while Paul's engaged in this battle for the gospel and the liberty of the Christian life, these false teachers are spreading this false gospel and they're mixing just a little bit of law, just a little bit of law into the grace. And that little bit of law is just that 3% that kills that life of freedom that Christ came to give us. Paul's concerned about it, that they're being deceived and that they're deserting, that they're walking away, that they're adopting it. As if God's gospel wasn't good enough to begin with, they're thinking, no, you're right, I should add these things to it. That that's really the way that I'm going to find the hope and the joy and the peace that my heart longs for is if I just add those things to it. And these guys are literally trying to walk into all of those things that they're bringing in. They're adopting these practices, saying, yes, if that's what it's going to take, then I'm going to do it. And you think about the words that he uses. He's, he's not talking, he's saying, you've abandoned, you've rejected, you've betrayed the gospel. Have you ever been betrayed? You know what that feels like for somebody who's close to you to turn their back on you? And Paul feels that weight to say, listen, you are not just turning your, like you're turning your back on the only truth that will set you free. It's the 3% that's going to kill you and rob you of the joy and the freedom that Christ has offered. He knows that the promises of these Judaizers, these Jewish Christians who are coming in, they only put the chains back on that Jesus came to break. And so he's concerned. And he gives this response. 
But his response is not to add more weight to the Christians, to the, to the Galatian Christians. What he does is he doubles down. He plants the flag. He says just clearly again and again, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the grace of God through Jesus Christ that gives you the freedom that, you've, that you want, that you're looking for. It's only Jesus that sets us free to live free. And he puts his confidence firmly in the gospel's sufficiency for salvation. Just look at what he does. He's not giving up any ground. He says this God's, it's God's work through Jesus on the cross. You know, we look around and, and when there's something happening in our world politically, maybe, or maybe in your office, you've had this happen, maybe in your house with your kids, you know, you look around and something's going on and you think somebody's got to do something. And what Paul's going to tell us is that somebody that did something was Jesus. And the something that he did was die on the cross for our sins. And it's that alone that brings us salvation. It doesn't get outside of that. It's just the gospel. He comes to us. He says that it's grace. Verse 3, he almost seems to kind of, kind of call them to the carpet. It's grace and peace to you from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age. God the Father, through Jesus Christ, did the work. God gave, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice that was sufficient to rescue you and I from the bondage that we were in. The word rescue is so significant in this passage because it tells us that all of us, the Galatians and everybody in this room included, are in the same place, that we are in bondage to our sin, a bondage that we can't do anything about. No matter how hard we try, no matter how, th- how many things we stack up, we can't rescue ourselves from this bondage. If you go to other, Paul's, other p- parts of Paul's letters, he even gets a little, bit, a little bit deeper. He says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and Christ made you alive. Listen. What Paul wants us to hear this morning, what he was writing to the Galatians, what is so significant for us is that Jesus didn't come to make a bunch of good people better. Jesus came to make dead people alive, to make prisoners free. And you and I are the prisoners. You and I are those who are dead that he's made alive through the gospel by his grace, through faith in Jesus alone. It doesn't go beyond that. But what these folks, these Judaizers, what these Jewish Christians want to tell us and what what we've heard over and over again is that you can do something about it. It's something that you do. And Paul, again, says, no, it's only Christ. Don't go any farther. Paul knows from his own experience that his his goodness couldn't rescue him and the horrible things he he had done couldn't keep him from the grace of Jesus Christ. 
In Philippians chapter 3, he lists this incredible list of all of the reasons why if anybody, anybody had a reason that they could say that Jesus would accept them on the things that they had done, he's like, my list is better. And so he goes through it, and it's significant. And at the end of the list, when he meets Jesus, he says, but all of those things, after meeting Jesus, I realize that it's all garbage. It's the stuff we flush down a toilet. It's waste is the actual language that he uses. He says, it's not the things that you do. I've been there. My stack of stuff is way better than your stack of stuff and it couldn't rescue me. And not only was my good enough, my good stuff not good enough, the things that I had done on on the other end, as Paul stood and held the coats of those who killed the first martyr, he has blood on his hands as a murderer and and that blood couldn't keep him. Listen, you can't be good enough to be rescued by your goodness and you can't be far enough away from God that the gospel can't rescue you. That's what's so good about the gospel. And I belabor this point. I say it over and over again. I want, I want us to drive it home because listen, some of us in this room, we've thought that we could do it. You've lived your whole life thinking that you could do it. We have a room full. I'm telling, listen, we've talked recently about how many folks are not in our church. We don't have a lot of folks who are far away from God very often that show up on a Sunday morning. People who have never heard the gospel and don't know anything about it. What we have is a lot of people, listen to me, listen closely. We have a lot of people who've done a lot of good things and think that they're going to heaven because of their good things. Because you've lived in the Bible Belt and you've gone to church all your life, you think that your stuff is going to get you to heaven. And I'm telling you that the gospel says it doesn't. That it's only Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing else that equals salvation. And I want you to hear me clearly say these words. If you've never trusted Christ for salvation, if you've only put your faith in your stuff, in yourself, in the success that you've had in various places, listen, Jesus alone. God created everything. It says in in Genesis, he created everything perfectly. And three chapters in, sin destroys it all. And Adam and Eve's sin fractures all of creation and your and our sin fractures our relationship with him because our sin can't let us have a relationship with God. But God, in his mercy and grace, sent Jesus Christ, his son, to satisfy that, that what we had broken. He was a sacrifice sufficient to pay the penalty for our sin. What we could not do, Jesus did, that we could have life with him by putting our faith in him and in him alone. If you've never done that, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that's the the most important conversation that you could have today. And after the service, I wanna invite you to come and have a conversation with me and, and some of our leadership here, we would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with God. But you know, there's another section of folks that, that, that I believe that we, we need to talk about because some of us are, are, are really this crowd of what's happening in Galatians. What Paul's addressing is not only that it's sufficient for salvation, but it's sufficient to sustain. 
That the gospel is not only sufficient to, for salvation, it is that, but it's also sufficient to sustain us until Christ comes back, until we get to spend eternity with him. And this is what I mean. The Galatians, like many of you, had trusted Christ for salvation. They began walking with Christ and things were good. Paul's talking about it. Hey, you've known the grace and the mercy of Jesus. So what has happened that you've begun to walk outside of that? That for a lot of us, what we think is that we've trusted Christ and now it's on us. Where the other one was it was on us because that was the way we were going to be saved. Now we think it's on us after we've been saved. One pastor says this, and I think it's so, so relevant. It's the way that I've thought and, and pro- struggles that I've had personally that he uses this language. He says, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. Rather, the gospel is A to Z of Christianity. Meaning that we never get outside of the gospel Once God saves us, he doesn't move us on to deeper spiritual truths. He moves us deeper into the gospel. We dive farther and farther into the grace that frees us. The gospel doesn't simply ignite the Christian life. It fuels it and sustains it. The purpose of Christ's death, therefore, was not only to rescue you, but to keep you. And the gospel is good enough. It's sufficient enough to keep us. We don't have to stack up our own things. We don't have to add to it and say, God, now now you love me more because I've done these things. I'm sure if you're you're like me, you really enjoyed when you first got your first iPhone. Maybe if you're not an iPhone user, I'm sorry. Uh, this is awesome. <laughs> you remember pa- unpackaging that first one, right? That first generation, it was so great. Took the little piece of paper off the top, it's like super clean. And you're like, please don't drop this because it's way too much money to break. And then the, the guys at, at Apple, they began sending out all these updates and it was like super cool to like read what was going to happen, what things they were going to add to it, right? This already incredible device, they're going to add something to it. And then they come out with a second one and they have, uh, you can take video and then the third one, you can take a selfie, which was horrible on their part in already narcissistic society. <laughs> Smile. But it was exciting. Then they make it, they made it big enough that you can see it from the face of the sun. <laughs> All these improvements. And now I think, man, I don't want to download that because it's going to kill my battery. What, the, what these Jewish Christians came into Galatia and, and these other parts that Paul had planted these churches, what they were coming in and saying is, listen, the gospel was good. What Paul said, it's great but you need an update. You need this as an update, as an upgrade to the gospel that he gave you. And updates may be cool on your phone, but what Paul's saying and what the gospel says so clearly is that God got it right the first time. 
Romans says that what God did is sending his son, he satisfied what we could not do. And in doing it, he did it completely. He doesn't have to send an upgrade. There's no reason for us to attach our things to it. Jesus's gospel in its simplest form is all that we need for the life that God's called us to and to experience the freedom that he's given us in a relationship with him. There's no reason for an update. One of my favorite parts about this, about Galatians, is there's just so much here. You're going to take that 20 minutes and you're going to read it and you'll be like, T, why didn't you talk about that? Why didn't you talk about that? In just chapter one, there's probably four sermons. And so I want to encourage you to dive in, but really, I felt like we had to make this clear call that this Galatians is this announcement, this declaration that through the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus alone, Jesus plus nothing else equals salvation, equals the freedom that the gospel offers. Jerry Bridges makes this statement, and I think it's poignant for us. It's relevant for us this morning. He says, he talks about our natural drift towards performance. To that performance mode when it comes to our relationship with God that we think if we do so much good behavior, that will generate a lot of good affection from God. And likewise, if we generate bad behavior, if we have bad behavior at some level, then it generates anger from God. So that God's relationship is, is now somehow dependent on what I do. He makes this statement. That that's incredibly narcissistic. And takes our eyes off of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we begin fixating on ourselves. But the gospel says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because in him is the freedom. In him is the whole truth of the gospel that relationship was paid for by his death on the cross. And freedom is at his hands, not anything that we could do. That's why on Sunday mornings, often one of our teaching pastors will say, we or encourage you to spend time in God's word. While we want to say, hey, grab, grab the daily steps and, and read God's word together or, or be reading God's word and, and, and spend time with God in his word. It's why we say we, we want you to gather with the church in places like this and worship together and, and see across the aisles that we're to end this together. We, we, we know that we need this kind of community. And while we say, hey, we want you to be a part of a community group because we need to be reminded in God's word and worship and in times when we're in community groups that that Jesus is the only answer, that it's God, it's Christ plus nothing that equals salvation. We need to be reminded as we open up God's word just how desperate 
we were and just how incredible God's grace was to send his son Jesus and fix our eyes on him and not on ourselves. This is going to be an incredible journey over the next several weeks, and I believe without a, without a doubt that this, story, this letter that had such, significant, such a significant role in, in Martin Luther's life and in the Reformation that brings us to where we are is going to have a significant movement in our lives, a significant move in our church and, and role in transforming our lives and, and teaching us to trust Jesus and Jesus alone. This is going to be an incredible time of, of diving, diving into God's Word. And I think the same way that God used it in the past, He will use it again. I want to encourage you to be a part each week. Read it. Spend time in God's Word, even in this passage, just to be reminded and fixing your eyes on Jesus. Let me pray for us and then as we close. Jesus, we thank you that your gospel is sufficient. I thank you that even now as I stand on this stage, that it's not my words that are significant. It's not my words that are enough to communicate. That God, your gospel, what you did, is the only way to salvation. Father, I pray that you would move and transform lives transform our community, transform our homes as we fix our eyes on the truth that it's you and nothing else that rescues us and sets us free. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.